Thank you for tuning in to a Budapest Beacon podcast. My name is Ben Novak. Joining me in the studio today, Mr. Dean Starkman. Dean, thanks for coming by. Good to be with you. Dean is a fellow at the Center for Media, Data, and Society and a visiting lecturer at the School of Public Policy at Central European University. Written books, You've got tons of journalistic accolades. Uh, I don't know if we have time to list them all, but if you do want to know more about Dean, uh, look him up on Google and you can can find out more about what he's done in his life so far. So Dean, you've been in the game for a very long time. How has journalism changed since you wrote your, uh, your, first, your first article? <laughs> That's a good one. I, I went to journalism school at Columbia, and we, we uh, literally uh, used manual typewriters. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were doing that just to make a point, but that sort of shows you. And, uh, but, yeah, I mean, look, things are, um, have basically exploded. And when I think it's, um, in, what's, what's interesting for me is always to kind of remember how new all this is. Um, uh, Facebook was, I mean, the mainstream of the internet really is only 10 years old or so. Yeah. Uh, the newspaper advertising peaked in 2006, so it's like 10 years ago. Uh, you know, uh, it's crazy when you sort of think about it. Facebook went public in 2012. That's like five years ago. It's all sort of happening really fast. And, and so, right, we have had this... Um, a, you know, you know, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a full-fledged collapse of the business model of used to be the backbone of professional sure. journalism, which is, uh, which is newspapers and all, you know, virtually not all, but you know, uh, what used to be a sixty billion dollar business in the U.S. is now under thirty billion. Um, that's a lot of money. And so, how is all of this impacting quality journalism? It's been devastating. I mean, my my humble opinion. Uh, what's interesting is, of course, it's not a entirely like one-sided uh, picture. I mean, it's really just it's so new, and it's so much. So much is going on, and there's some awesome stuff being done right now. Um, and a lot of it's, in some ways, you could say it's a golden age for some some types of reporting. Um, I think uh, uh, actually, it's hard to say, hard to say, but certainly political reporting and. Um, some forms of investigative reporting uh, are doing quite well, I and mean, this is there's no there's no shortage of uh, of opinion and comment. And uh, yeah, it's fact, kind of like it's flooded the, uh, the the media sector now. It's really hard in this day and age, at least, to distinguish just based on headlines alone. You know whether you're about to step into a a commentary, opinion-heavy article or some actual fact-based reporting. Yeah, so in my the way I sort of see it is that what's been devastated is is sort of, is journalism's fact-gathering capabilities, the 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 revenue loss that I described in the US was accompanied by the loss of about 30,000 uh, newspaper jobs. And those was again were sort of the backbone of of the American journalism and into that void has, you know, and of course everybody now has a is, has a public publishing platform. So into that void is um, has flowed, you know, opinion and comment, which you know nothing against that, but it's sort of um, uh, Walter Lippmann, this uh, great public intellectual of the twentieth century, you know, sort of you know, described facts as sort of the, as sort of the foundation of everything else, and that once opinion becomes untethered from fact, you get chaos and and sort of. Uh, a, a landscape ripe for <clears throat> for demagogues, and that's sort of uh, that's that's sort of how I sort of see 
um, the current landscape, when I sort of think of journalism, I think of, of news gathering, fact gathering. That's sort of the job one, sort of core function. And, and that's, where, uh, that's where journalism has been kind of give it hit, hit <clears throat> kind of absorbed a body blow and it has uh, in no way uh, anywhere come close to recovering and I add to that that this is kind of a you know it's a uh, you know it, you know it, it, as in all things everything sort of depends but the real sort of um, the real the real um, crisis if you if you will in in journalism in the US and I and I, I think it's also true certainly true in Hungary it's also true in the UK I think it's going to be true everywhere is uh, there the crisis in local and regional reporting yeah it's, just, it's a desert there and that's where I came up from I my first paper was in Alabama actually just nice yeah, uh, news. you Thank know you. congratulations yeah yeah it was, in, it was in the Aniston Star in Calhoun County in northwest part of the state and and uh, my second paper was in Providence Rhode Island so you know I that's my training right so that's and those papers particularly in Providence I mean literally they're they're you, you, you cannot recognize them. They are, mm. you know, they're there, but in name only, right? So that whole sort of, I mean, we're talking about, you know, Louisville and 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 and, and uh, Des Moines and and Miami and Boston and you know the whole, you know the you know the uh, uh, Tulsa and and everywhere there used to be, um, you know, fine. Newspapers sort of holding local power to account, but also connecting with those communities. Sure. In like Detroit and in um, uh, Toledo, Ohio had a good paper. And, uh, um, you know, all of these places where journalists and 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 p- people who are now Trump voters would interact, you know, mm-hmm. th- those papers have now basically disappeared and all of the jobs, the extent that they have, migrated at all have migrated to the coast. So if you look at these bubble maps of where journalism jobs were mm-hmm. dispersed 20 years ago, you know, mostly, you know, big big circles in New York and LA, sure, and Chicago, but, you know, of course there are bumps everywhere in St. Louis and yeah. like I said, Des Moines and Louisville and all, all over the place. And now if you look at those same maps, I mean, they're just like massive circles around New York and Washington and LA. And there's like there's the rest of the country is sort of flyover country. So what what impact does this have on a? I guess we'll segue here into into public interest uh, journalism. So what what impact does it have when you take a a uh, local community, a you know for lack of a better term, I'm just going to say an isolated community that's somewhat detached from the the mainstream of what's going on in larger cities, and all of a sudden the residents of this community uh, no longer have access to information that is really relevant to their lives, to their most immediate surroundings, you know, perhaps even to their wallet. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, there's a lot of political theory over the years that nobody, I don't think, has seriously argues that uh, journalism and democracy are very, very difficult to separate. You can't have certainly can't have journalism without democracy. And, you, and it's very difficult to imagine a democracy without journalism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're sort of seeing that here in Hungary. And, and, um, and there's been plenty of literature over the years that have, have, uh, have, have uh, uh, proven really the, 
Uh, uh, the correlation between a rise in corruption and public corruption and the decline of a newspaper. There's even, you know, there's there's a sharp drop off in things like voter per, voter participation when a when a when a newspaper closes. I mean, all of this stuff is sort of well documented. So what we're what we're looking at is really, uh, honest to God, a uh, in my view, just a golden age of uh, public corruption. There is nobody minding the store at City Hall or at the State House or um, uh, Parliament. Yeah, and uh, and that is and that's you know enormously corrosive to to democracy. What we see in Hungary is that this happens uh, uh, together with you know efforts on behalf of whoever's in charge to restrict access to public information, information that would otherwise be public uh, for journalists who do have the time and can go through the pains of actually sorting this stuff out and turning it into a story. So it seems like it's almost a double whammy there where it's uh, the public is uh, has far less access. You would assume that in today's day and age with the amount of technology that we're using, that the reporting would be so much better. There would be so much more information. But uh, it's, uh, it's few and far between. That's a great point, really. Um, in a lot of ways, our capacity to handle and pro- process uh, and, and, and the amount of data available to us has, has grown exponentially, right? But um, <clears throat> that's... Uh, First, it's only first getting access to data is contingent on the on the government cooperating and, and providing access, which it's, it's supposed to by law, but in practice often doesn't. The other part is, yeah, I mean, uh, to you know, to to do investigative reporting, to look through public records, to to do any kind of public interest journalism, you just need you need boots on the ground, and you need people with uh, time on their hands. Yeah. You know, reporters with time on their hands are uh, are dangerous things to uh, <laughs> to um, to um, to the status quo, and um, and and can be uh, you know highly uh, 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 subversive or reformist uh, uh, force in in any society. So what's you know what's needed is uh, uh, besides you know. Um, governments being more cooperative, journalists have always fought governments for access to information. But what's really needed is a stable platform for journalists to do their thing. And that's sort of what's lacking right now. Well, what do you mean by stable platform? Financial platform. Mm-hmm. It's like money is the is what we're talking well, about. But this is, you know, this is the, the history of economics, though, isn't it? You know, you go through these periods where things change dramatically, new technologies emerge, and they disrupt the, the, the status quo. And, you know, since, since 2008-ish, you can argue that, you know, Media journalism, in particular, has has is has been going through this crisis, where it hasn't been able to find a stable footing. Where do you see the answer to this? Where <laughs> look into your oracle and uh, tell me. Well, I look to the past. I mean, the the um, uh, what, and and there's an interesting book by a prof named Richard John in at Columbia who it's called Making News and it's about. Uh, the political economy of news since like Gutenberg's Bible, and it's really interesting because we, you know, it's a bit, it's a, it's a bit ominous because if you sort of look back over time, you realize that the sort of this post-war period of uh, m- of, of news companies being uh, these uh, sort of power, powerful financial forces, sort of anomaly, you know, that was born of a time of um, uh, of um, these quasi-monopolies that had this dominance over advertising markets in local 
jurisdictions and it wasn't in local communities like Boston or in Providence, there was one newspaper basically. And if you were a merchant in Providence and you needed to sell your birdcage or, 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 um, or, or used car or your department store or grocery store chain, you basically you had one place to go. Yeah. They were basically printing money and they were making operating margins more or less what Google's making today. Talking about 25, 30% margins, which is, you know, the means there's something wrong with the market, right? <laughs> so, so that's gone. You know, that is gone. And, um, and everyone's been kind of, uh, you know, first there was a bit of euphoria among the technologists. You know, you've, you're, 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 your mediocre or mainstream journalism has gotten its come up and so whatever. And, but now people are starting to realize that um, some of it's not so bad and that uh, even if it, 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 it as, 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 as uh, if you don't like it now, you certainly, if you didn't like it in 2006, you're cer- certainly not going to like it today, yeah, <laughs> even yeah. less today. So, right, you make a good point. So how do you, how do you do this? And, you know, you're almost, you're more of an expert on this than me. You guys are are in it to doing it, you know, every day. And it's, and you know, you know that that's not an easy job. Um, I don't, I know that I, I, there, no one has really uh, discovered the, the full answer, but I do know that the answer will include a sort of different ratio of, um, of funding where advertising becomes um, diminishing, you know, a, a smaller part of the mix and, and subscribers and readers become a larger one. So, you know, you're looking at, and I always thought that readers could probably support maybe a third or half the budget. Mm-hmm. And then the, the other half, you know, you're talking about, I'm talking about a, I'm talking about a, uh, a large scale mass media or organization, not, yeah. not one, not, not an, not an Lotso or Direct 36, mm-hmm. which I like, I love those guys. But they're not big enough, right? So um, those are those are two uh, investigative journalism NGOs in Hungary for our listeners who might not have yeah. heard of them before, and they do fantastic work. They really do. I'm, I'm, you know, they're they're my heroes. But what's you know what? But when you're looking, and you know, they support themselves through a mix of like, and I think what what all news organizations of the future will be doing is this mix of. Um, uh, reader support, some institutional support, donors, yeah, some of that which I do not love, and um, and some third thing. And I think the third thing is going to have to be uh, something along the lines of uh, something coming from public policy. In in Hungary, actually, in the nineties, they the, when more you more you more I read about this country, the more remarkable a, a period it was in the nineties here, where some they passed some of the more progressive media laws anywhere in Europe and included um, a provision where um, basically it's a tax credit or it's this checkoff. So if you can check check a box at the end of your tax return and, and, and uh, designate a particular de- NGO or in particular a news organization for for one percent of your um, of your taxes, um, See, what that does is it sort of uh, eliminates the big problem of public subsidies, which is who's going to decide who gets what. Yeah. In this case, you know, this, to me, that's why it's so ingenious, is that 
you know, any everybody, in, individual taxpayers decide who they're going to support. Yeah. So the so the rule that you're referring to here is it's the one percent one percent rule. So you can designate one uh, percent of the personal income taxes you've paid to go to a religious organization, and then you can designate another one percent to go to an NGO to go to a an NGO that has met the criteria established by the law. And so that's how a lot of organizations get funding funding in Hungary. That's interesting. But what would be very good is if uh, I don't know if you've heard about this this uh, you can you can defer your income tax if you're I'm sorry your corporate income tax a portion of your income tax to a uh, sports club in Hungary. Hmm. So if you're a company and you've got X in uh, corporate income taxes, you can pay instead of paying it into the treasury. You can donate it to the soccer academy in Fatshut. <laughs> so maybe if we had a rule like that for journalism, that would be quite interesting. Also, I think well, you'd probably you want, get more money that way. You want the government to be properly funded, but also you. Uh, but this. But yeah, I mean, there are. That just shows that there are ways to to skin this cat that uh, would you know eliminate um, uh, the problem of political influence and again government you know dominance of 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 the news system and. And uh, there's no reason why um, that 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 concept can't be expanded. Point being, um, yeah, the the future of news is going to rec- is is not going to be uh, funded by advertising. Number one, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that's or not you know, to the extent that it had been. Yeah, uh, yeah, not at all. Because print advertising seems to be going away. Everyone seems to be agreed that certainly that's going to go. Although, well, the the major papers in the U.S. and the U.K. And here, all to some extent, still surprising degree, fund themselves for print. But let's just say that's going away. And then, for the time being, um, sorry, Facebook and Google are now commanding ninety percent, nine out of every ten new digital ad of the growth in digital advertising. So they currently control like sixty you percent know, of the market. But basically, the future belongs in advertising. There's no space for anybody besides them. Internet is not. <clears throat> internet advertising is is not is not it's it's not a fr- internet is not a friendly place for medium sized businesses of any kind. Sure, you know what I mean. It just feels like it doesn't work for any. You know, it's got to be. It's kind of an all or nothing space, and medium sized publishers have really struggled. Who have tried to work that angle with uh, with um, you know digital advertising, and that's been been this kind of. Um, you know, Charlie Chaplin scene with the uh, with because because um, where the conveyor belt keeps speeding up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because because uh, advertising rates have been falling, right? So yeah. you're trying to just keep um, and you're trying to keep your readership growing, your your unique visitors growing to to grow your revenue, right? But all you can do is you're basically speeding up just to keep even, but now you're not even keeping even because mm-hmm. uh, because the, uh, because the rates called CPMs, uh, uh, clicks per mil, cl- yeah. clicks per thousand, have been declining because, you know, there's this massive inventory on Google and, and Facebook. So, you know, that's been this, that's just not a, that's just not a winning game for, for, for the news in my view. So aren't you, aren't you alarmed at all by the, the amount of power that Google and Facebook, I mean, they've completely tossed up the market. Yeah. Big time. I am very alarmed. And, and, uh, the trouble with, 
the first there's a couple of things. I mean, somebody, there's some people, people started to really look at them and think about them seriously. And one of the things to think about with them, and I think about them, of course, in relation to to the news, but they're bigger than the news. They're, they're everything. <laughs> they're they're everything. Basically dominating the economy. And one of the things, they, one of the things some people have talked about, pointed out, including a guy like Matt Stoller, who's a policy guy in Washington and follows this kind of stuff, is that when you sort of think about it, um, Google and Facebook are not um, natural monopolies per se. They are basically... First, you think of Google as a search firm, right? Yeah. Uh, and you think of Facebook as social media. But what they've also done, and, the, and, and to some extent, those are kind of uh, natural monopolies because the more people in your um, in your uh, in your network, the more valuable your network is. So that, yeah. and the more people who use your search, the smarter your search becomes. Yeah. So that those are kind of things. But you forget that um, that um, uh, Google and Facebook are are as dominant as they are because they've made these horizontal acquisitions, right? Like WhatsApp, now that yep. now you why would you be messaging via Facebook? Why? Because they bought WhatsApp, right? And 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 um, why would you be watching videos on Google? Because they bought YouTube. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? In other words, so, so there's been this so first of all, you have to kind of realize that these are not um, you know, natural monopolies like the water the, sure. the water company or the power company, right? These are these are things that have expanded horizontally. Number one. Number two is um, they are now sort of the default platform for the news, right? Including if you're searching um, for the Alabama election results, where are you going to go, right? Well, if you search for the 2016, you, you typed in 2016 fi- uh, f- final election results, but if you did it, in 2000, uh, November 9th, 2000, November 8th, 2016, you would have learned that Trump won the popular vote. Right. And it was basically all traced back to a fake news site that basically had this fake news. So, and the point is, and no one knows how that happened or why, right? And that's sort of the, the other issue with both those companies. No one really understands exactly, you know, first, every, most people get their news from Facebook, to a huge degree, but no one really understands like what appears in your newsfeed and oh, why. the algorithm it's behind the it. The algorithm, right? The algorithm is a is a is a trade secret. It's proprietary, right? So there's no way, even though that these are de facto monopolies in this space, um, and they're they are the um, in some senses sort of the globe world's editor. Facebook is what runs, you know how you know how prominently it runs. Uh, what you'll see, what you won't see, uh, how it, what you'll see in re- whether in relate what what news you'll see in relation to your social stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, on, uh, no one knows, and um, it's hard to. And then that system we've has been shown that obviously it can be gamed with um, uh, targeted advertising and yep. other things, even if it was you know completely unmanipulated system. Um, it is um, completely opaque. We have no way to know uh, why you're seeing what you're seeing, whether you're seeing what everybody, anybody else is seeing, and what rhyme or reason we have for for what news we see. Right? Facebook, Google, they are Satan. 
Um, now, now we're at the point. Now we're at the point. Uh, let's let's bring this around. I want to talk about your experiences now with with Hungarian journalism. So you've obviously got a bunch of contacts. You you work with people through the university and through the center. You've got a pretty good idea as to what the challenges are that journalists face, especially journalists who do public interest um, reporting. Could you tell our listeners what you've heard, what you've experienced uh, through these people? Yeah, um, you know, and, and, and uh, Ben, you're as familiar with these problems as I am, more so. Um, so we have seen like this ever shrinking space for independent media in Hungary. Period. Full stop. That's a really that's a really diplomatic way to put it. Shrinking space for media, independent media in Hungary. I, I guess I don't know. I would fewer and fewer independent outlets that you know have any scale exist, and they've all been eliminated one way or another through essentially government intervention. Not sure how else to put it. Um, the um, the you know, and it's been you know very systematic. Um, very systematic. So. Um, and a lot of it had to do has to do with um, with um, uh, interestingly eliminating foreign ownership uh, of, um, of of media, which uh, you know on a public policy basis is defensible up to a point. But you know it, it's but you don't do that. You, you don't you you don't promote Hungarian ownership of uh, of media to. To expand government control of the media, I mean that's that, but that's exactly what's happened. So, you know, Ringier and Axel Springer used to own a lot of the yeah. local papers, and they are commercial owners, and they probably were imperfect, imperfect owners, but they were they were essentially there to try to make a buck, which is sort of what you want. And now, uh, all of those papers, through uh, basically uh, through decisions uh, forced basically by decisions of the media council and the competition authority have been forced basically forced sales into Hungary into Hungarian hands and not just any hands but hands that are allied with uh, with the uh, with the Orban government so the state of local media is is so is so dire essentially there's there's no independent media left locally in in the country we were sort of talking about that earlier in the US context and it kind of shows you how important it is, really, that 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 uh, government would go to such lengths to to you know to to take control of it. It's in such difficult state straits that the U.S. State Department's decided that that it needs to you know inject some some U.S. taxpayer money into uh, into into creating you know independent media outlets in, in in local cities and towns in Hungary. So as an American, were you when you heard when you heard the news that the State Department announced this uh, this big grant, uh, did you welcome it? Did you think they may have they should have maybe offered some more money? Yeah, they should have doubled it or whatever they're offering. <laughs> you know, should double it. I mean, because who else is nobody else is going to do it and if Europe's not going to step step up, then what are you supposed to do? I mean, you know, you if you want a democracy, you have to have independent independent journalism. Period. If you don't, then you don't. So yeah, I mean, that's that's what the State Department historically has done. You know, to you know, the the you know the upside of U.S. American hegemony in the post war world. You know, when it's worked well, is to expand democracy and freedom. Throughout the world, and yeah. you know, you didn't really understand that until you freaking moved here. Yep. And you see, 
what that means, you know. And when people, when when democracies are embattled, what it means to have this, we have the U.S. State Department at your back, you know. We learned that at CEU, and um, and you know, we appreciate it. Things are going great at CEU, but a very <laughs> promising future in Hungary, as I understand. <laughs> well, look. Um, to the extent that we have a look, this is uh, off of uh, beyond my brief. But to, to the extent we have a, a future in Hungary, um, the uh, you know U.S. State Department gets a you know U.S. State Department gets a gets a lot of the credit for it, or gets you know it's, it's thanks to some to some degree to the U.S. State Department. So yeah, I was happy about. Very happy to hear that that's uh, that that's going on, and the sooner the better. So that's um, you know, and so but and we've sort of seen. Um, uh, I was here in 2014 when Origo was exploded. Yep. I mean, that was ridiculous. I mean, and and transparent. And that used to be owned by Deutsche Telekom, and now it's not. So, um, again. Uh, it's owned by the son of the central bank government. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a, uh, it's, 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 it used to be. You, they used to commit some pretty good journalism. I was so It was a fantastic. When we started the beacon in, uh, in 2013, the media situation was completely different. So back then, uh, you had a lot more independent, uh, independent or opposition media. And so our job, as, as we kind of saw it, was to take what was being reported in the Hungarian press and just like condense it, put it into English and get it out there to kind of help the English language world see what's what's happening here. And uh, Origo was a huge source to us, really, a tremendous journal. I mean, they, they really had the, the greats working there. Yeah. They really did have, a, you know, a lot of people who left and went on to do much greater things, in my opinion, um, that aren't being read nearly as much as they should be. Yeah, they, and they were, they were huge. They were doing very, very well. But now, ironically, or not ironically, I guess as a result of the, the consolidation of the, the media environment here, it's becoming incredibly difficult for us to do our jobs. Mm-hmm. So as, as the number of independent or, you know, even, even like verifiable uh, independent or I guess what I want to say is like trustworthy opposition news uh, sources have – as they've shrunk. Disappeared. As they've disappeared, you know, we often found ourselves just kind of like staring in, you know, at the screen and saying like, what the hell is going on what in this country? We, we don't yeah, know. We don't know right. what's going on here. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's difficult for us to make this adjustment because you find that you've got less sources. There are less people you can contact who are actually working on stories so you could get clarification on something get some better insight. And strangely enough, it's, I guess, uh, the, the independent media scene here is kind of, it's a really bad analogy to make, but it's kind of turned into what you see with the opposition. It's fragmented, small, and kind of scattered. Yeah, battling among themselves and and not, um, and, and not, right, and not, uh, first, first things first, they're not mass media. Yeah. So to speak, you know, to, to speak of, uh, you know, RTL Club is mass media. That's yeah. the last sort of thing. But, um, and, you know, the biggest blow and, you know, and it was very deliberate was the uh, forced closure of Nape Sabachag, which, um, you know, it's a whole discussion. You, you can get everyone jumping up and down about what they thought of Nape Sabachag over the years and even during And apparently there was this... Uh, one-year period of uh, of renaissance that they experienced that that um, the way the reporting I've read describes was beginning to have an impact on, on the discourse. In this it country. was a huge change. I, I remember I never 
I never really went out and bought a copy of Nave Silva Check. So I read I read the online I read the online uh, uh, the online website and it was in the summer, I want to say like summer, late spring of 2016, the stories these guys were breaking were absolutely enormous. I mean, they were, you're reading this and you're like, wow, somebody actually put this on paper. That's incredible. And you know, these were stories that I think had Nebuchadnezzar not been closed and they would continue to break these kinds of stories, there would, the public discourse in Hungary would be very different I, today than I, where. I, 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 I think that, that strikes me as quite, that resonates with me in a, in a huge way, and and I feel like that's right. And if and if I and in, in the way um, Direct Thirty Six put it in the way in their in their uh, post mortem, their basically obit on how Nepsabachak was closed. Um, a, you know, a big factor was this uh, synergy, I guess you would call it, or resonance that they were getting, or pingback they were getting from RTL Club. So you know it's not true until it's on TV, right? Yeah. In a lot of, in a lot of pl- places, but and whereas RTL Club won't do its own investigations, they did feel like they were able to um, amplify sure these Nipsabachak things. And apparently, and RTL's got like what they reached like last I recall, which maybe a figure that's one or two years old. Twenty percent of the population. They're the most. They're the 20% most. Twenty percent of the population. They're the most popular commercial broadcaster in the country. Yeah. And um, anyway, so it was clear that 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 the stories that they were breaking were were starting to reverberate around the country, and all of a sudden, this sort of narrative of the rise of illiberalism, the uh, era of inevitability, and that uh, we're you know that everything's going in a single direction. All that's began to change rather quickly, and the, sort of the the uh, uh, new narratives were introduced, and counter narratives that were were starting to form. And uh, so, yeah, I, I that was my sense too. And 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 um, you know, the Nape Sabachak, the uh, Direct Thirty Six uh, expose basically um, illustrated that this was a government force take uh, uh, closure. Without any, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's virtually no, no question about it. With a, uh, with a, um, <clears throat> the straw figure of uh, Heinrich Pacina uh, uh, playing a sort of the front for um, um, uh, uh, an oligarch who apparently was Zoltan Spader, who was then on a falling down. out with uh, had a little falling out with Orban. And then, um, uh, you know, the, you know, first, first, the only reason that Pacina had that paper in the first place was because that was forced as, 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 as an, part of the um, approval of a merger of Ringier and Axel. Mm-hmm. They were forced to sell uh, Nape Sabachag and um, uh, a dozen local papers into friendly hands. That would be Pacina. Acting as a front for uh, one of uh, a favored oligarch, and when the oligarch fell out of favor, a new deal was engineered, and Pacina was simply uh, again uh, uh, a cat's paw, yeah. um, in which um, the valuable regional papers were sold to a uh, an Orban ally, and and the and the and to to save the. The the ally for, or the government from having their um, fingerprints on the 
on the closure, uh, Pacina closed it himself, uh, citing, uh, you know, economic reasons that absolutely... We're completely bogus and everybody knows it. Everyone knows it. I mean, I I would say that (laughs) it's preposterous to imagine that the largest circulation paper is the, the, the way to solve its economic problems is to close it. That never happens. In the U.S., um, uh, uh, private equity is uh, licking their chops to buy newspapers cheap. Why? Because they're still immensely profitable once you, once you, make, some, once you make some cuts. And so um, there are, I mean, the, the, the biggest newspaper chains in the U.S. now are owned by vulture funds. Hmm. I mean, there's any, no, anybody, uh, any investor could have found a, a, a price for. You don't close the paper. Well, it was, what, was out, what was outrageous, too, was that they, so they, they shut it live. down, and then they took the website offline. Right. So, you know, as a potential, you, you wouldn't even have to put new content on there. You could generate ad revenues just from people going to a website that's no longer being updated. <laughs> by, but they even took that offline. The paper. And not putting it up for sale, they uh, Pacina th- literally threw uh, you know, millions of uh, uh, billions of forints away. There's no doubt that there was a buyer for that paper, uh, and 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 uh, that that the idea you close to solve an economic problem is to close it. And to me, that what that shows to me is I've got a sort of this journalistic centric um, worldview, and that makes to me that shows how important journalism was to the government. Like that paper had to go. <laughs> And it, and, it, and it is gone now that, you know, that it's, um, it, you know, it, it, was a, it was a high priority and, um, and, you know, mission accomplished. But it does show that that was, that, that, that was not a, um, you know, that that was um, a serious, um, that that was getting, in, that was giving people information that they could not get anywhere else and that. That, and therefore, and it was independent information. It was, it was, uh, <clears throat> it was holding um, government officials accountable, and, and therefore, it had to be it had to be shut down. I mean, the whole Hungarian case to me just shows, um, you know, if you know, if we, you know, on, on the left and in academia, I think there's sort of like a either people take journalism for granted or they're sort of dismissive of it. But I'll tell you who does not take journalism for granted, Viktor Orban yep. and, um, and, um, and Donald Trump and um, the government of Poland and Egypt and Turkey and, and the rest. They, you know, they, 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 they know perfectly well how, how important journalism is to democracy and how, what a threat it is to to uh, to despots, right? Sure. So um, that's why I think this is such an interesting period for journalism because everyone's getting a bit of a wake up call, and as dismissive as we used to be of uh, <clears throat> of um, legacy journalism, mainstream journalism, traditional journalism, whatever you wanted to call it, um, you know, now they're sort of. I think people are sort of seeing well. Whatever it is, you know, we need that. We need some of that. So uh, that's and and I think that's I think that's I think that's 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 true as that's as true in Hungary as it is in the U.S. What do you what do you think a a Hungarian journalist? Uh, what what future does a Hungarian journalist see in this in this media landscape? Very here? bright, very bright. <laughs> and the reason I say that is I mean that I'm not even being ironic. I mean it because like there's always a demand for great journalism, always. So. 
the, 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 my advice to anybody want, who's working in journalism is just to be ready because your day, your time is coming. This won't be going on forever. Um, these things, um, these these regimes, these these situations, these these uh, um, uh, these um, uh, paradigms. You know, they change. They can. They they they're they're there until they're not. I grew up in Chicago. I grew up in Chicago, uh, suburb of Chicago, Evanston. It was um, this sort of reform pocket uh, next to this great, the uh, great um, political machine of Richard J. Daley. And that machine was like inevitable. I mean, they they won they won like Saddam Hussein kind of numbers. You know, eighty five percent, ninety percent of the city would vote for Daley. And then. Um, uh, one year in 1978, there was this big snowstorm. It was, to, to be sure, it was four years after Daly died. But but the machine counter kept going. There was this big show snowstorm, and they couldn't they couldn't shovel the streets, right? And the next day, and that they, that was like the in the that was the winter of 78, and in the spring and March they had the elections, and that machine was gone forever. <laughs> and by and by, you know, and three years later, Jane Byrne, this like this lady who was this uh, like uh, I don't know how you would put it, like the consumer reform consumer advocate of the city, was now mayor. And uh, three years later, uh, Harold Washington, a black man, was was elected mayor of the Wa- Things changed so fast, you know. And um, you know, you you think that you know that this the situation is going to be here forever, and it's you know, and I know that it won't. So, question is like, so what do you do? And you have to kind of get ready. And what, one of the things that has to be done, we both agree, is you know there has to be <clears throat> some kind of um, you know large scale you know mass media news organization that. Um, you know, operating in this country, and not just to report on the Orban government, but report on the next socialist government, and the next green government, sure. the next, the next Yobik government. But what investor yeah. is so? Yeah, I don't know if it necessarily has to be a strictly a commercial play. You know, I, I just don't. You know, that's that. There's 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 um, one of the. One of the upsides of global wealth inequality is there's a lot of there's a lot of money washing around. Some of it in in um, in the hands of people who believe in uh, in um, in uh, in journalism. And Pierre Midiar is one of them. And um, obviously um, uh, Jeff Bezos is another. And whatever there's, I mean, it won't wouldn't necessarily. I haven't really worked out the details. We talked about it, but I haven't really worked out the details. But it would be a hybrid. The way to you'd have to approach it is, you know, this is, um, I would say, uh, I would call it uh, uh, philanthropy with potential upside. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, and I mean, that's... So you're probably going to lose your money, but you might not. Um, like if you would be making a donation, if, if, if you're, uh, you know, an institutional donor and you would be making that kind of a donation anyway, but the people who are actually running the show and who want to get this thing off the ground are in it to say, we'd like to make this thing profitable. You might as well treat it as though it's an investment. Yeah. And I actually do think that, um, I mean, I, I would have to, I, I need to, I need a little time to work out the numbers, but. I sort of feel like 
uh, if you're careful um, with your spending and but and you're and you're good enough and, and your marketing is good enough, you know, that you could probably, um, you know, you could probably, you know, I, I just feel like there's demand for this. And, and that and that demand is not just in Budapest, but it's around the country. Oh, yeah. And and uh, that you could you could probably and, you know, if you could if you could just buy enough time you know, by three, five years, five years. That's what I would say. And, you know, if you can't do it in five years and shame on you. But I feel like um, if you're careful, if you don't, if you don't get out ahead of your self and expand too fast, but you don't short arm it and put out a poor product, you know, you have to have that. It's uh, entirely possible. And, and um, um, uh, again, I, I think you'd have to find, have to find some other support besides, um, besides subscriptions. It's not a rich country, you know. Ten thousand forints is a lot of money. Yeah. So, what you know, whatever the subscription you wanted to charge, so um, you you know you'd 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 have to figure out <clears throat> alternative sources, including including maybe philanthropic support. But uh, there's no no question there's demand for it. Well, there you have it, Mr. Dean Starkman. Well, see, has a has a very promising vision for the future. So all ger- Hungarian journalists turn that frown upside down. Yeah, well, I'm, a, uh, I, I'm 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 American, so that always you know you have to discount what. <laughs> it's like there's we're we're too optimistic by about twenty five percent. Some would say naive, <laughs> <laughs> and they would be right. They would be right. But that's you know. But there's uh, but there's power too in 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 uh, in, uh, in 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 the belief itself, and and um, and frankly. Uh, as I've talked about this, an idea for independent media here, um, <laughs> even the most dour Hungarians start to kind of light up and feel like they, I, th- I think they think it makes a lot of sense. And, I think and you know, right. that, that is, that may be one of the, I guess one of the lessons we can take from what's happening, not, not only in, in, uh, in Hungary, but also in the United States, is that you go through these periods where you realize that a lot of the things you took for granted um, you know, when they're not there, right. holy cow, is this world a very different place. Yeah. And you've got to kind of be, you have to be dragged through the mud a bit. You have to see like, what is life without this stuff? You know, what is it like to make decisions with when you don't have the tools to make decisions, make informed decisions? And uh, maybe this is what the world needs right mm. now yeah, to I go mean, through it just to realize the importance of, uh, of well, independent media. Well, whether we need it or not, we're going through it. So we might yeah. as well see if we, can, see if we can make the best of it and learn from this uh, crisis because it is a crisis. There you go. Dean, thanks a lot for coming on. My pleasure, Ben. Thanks. And, uh, you know, we'll, if you're around in January, maybe swing by. Let's do it again. All right. 